Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are, of course, a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network, which is why you didn't hear us last week and you're just hearing us this week. The Podcast Network has moved to its off-season schedule. Uh, since we last spoke, the season has ended, kind of. There's still playoffs. The fantasy season has ended. And so we're on an off-season schedule now, which means you'll hear us every other week. This week, that means you get me with this, like, weird head cold that is just lingering. I'm not actually even sick anymore. I'm just stuffed up and sound weird. Uh, hopefully, that'll be gone in two weeks before we have to record again. But for now, I apologize for that. You're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, but Pete, the, the, season, the season is over. How did your season finish up from a fantasy perspective? So it, it was overall a good season for me. Um, I'd say the three leagues I wanted to win the most, I came like kind of close and lost. So that was uh, League 13, just because that was my first odd new league. And I feel like that league is one of the most competitive leagues I've ever been in and made it to the semis and lost. My home league, I was like the runaway favorite in the finals. Lost that on a 6-6-2 six, six to two tie. Um, if I didn't pitch some guy, I don't even remember his name. He was like the Cardinal starter that Sunday. I probably would have had a better chance at winning. But if Logan Gilbert had just gotten one more out in the final week, or the second to final week, because we don't use the final week, he pitched five and two thirds. I can't even remember against two. Didn't get the quality start. That would have gave me the win. And then uh, my TGFBI league, that was like the craziest. I just, I don't play a lot of NFBC. And so I just wanted to like continue to play and see the season out. My team was so bad at the beginning of the year. We're talking Joe Musgrove, Razel Iglesias, Jose Altuve. So all three of those, see you later. Nolan Arenado got off to a brutal start. I was in first place for most of September um, and I finished in second uh, and I was like three points back by the end of the final week. So it wasn't like a huge heartbreak. You kind of saw it coming towards the beginning of the week, but those three leagues, I really wanted to win my keeper leagues though. I did very well. Um, I won two, three, four of my ESPN private leagues and I'm in eight. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, I didn't do so hot in any of the listener leagues, but I did win one of them last year. So I'm just kind of like going to ride that out and then I won't have that excuse next year. So got to really bring it for 2024. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good successful season. And I think uh, <clears throat> those NFBC leagues are just like, I struggle with those. I, I'm just, I've never quite figured out <laughs> how to, how to be successful in those. And this year was the first year. It's like, being in Washington State, I can't play those. I can do TGFBI because there's no money involved, but I can't play any of the money leagues from them because it's it's not legal here. Um, but this year, I did three of them because I was in Hawaii for a week right around draft season. And I was like, well, I can draft from here. And so I did that. Um, and I almost, two of them, I was, I was sort of out of it the whole season and I, did my part to keep playing to be competitive as best I could and finished I think fourth or fifth in one of them and seventh in the other or something like that. A 15 team where I finished seventh, but I was in a, a Rotowire on, online championship league and I'd been hanging around like fourth most of the season. And all of a sudden in early September, no late August, I started to make a run and got within like a point or two of second and the top two spots pay out. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. And so I started, I basically what it, what happened was I was in a precarious position where my only real path forward 
was to aggressively get runs and strikeouts wins, strikeouts and wins. I didn't need saves. I was way ahead in saves. So I backed off my closers. I started streaming every two-start starting pitcher I could find. The problem was if my rates went bad, I would gain in the counting stats and lose in the rates. And it like, but it was my only chance. It was like I have to stream and hope I stream well. And I basically did not stream well enough. Uh, and I ended up falling. I finished third still, but like a distant third as opposed to being close. But it was a fun finish, and I had another. I have a uh, a dynasty league I play in with some folks from the Pitcherless Discord community that I had been seemingly just running away with for most of the year, and then coinciding with Shohei Otani getting shut down first as a pitcher and then as a player, th- like another team started making a run and catching me. Because uh, I, I have Otani in that, and it's you know it's amazing how that ways. works. Yeah, it's <laughs> you like you lose your best hitter and your best pitcher at the same time. Like it doesn't go well. <laughs> and the last week in that league, uh there there were saves and holds as a category, wins plus quality starts as a category, and strikeouts was really close. And so I was in the same situation, but it's a daily league with daily moves. And so I was streaming literally daily, as was, I think, the other manager. And basically, I think what that season came down to at some level was I just made the decision that there were a couple of guys that even though it's a dynasty league and you can keep everyone and blah, 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 and these guys are worth keeping, I just didn't care. I was going to dump them and go after the title. And it was the same sort of thing where like, my, my streaming was uh, – it was doing what I needed it to do in terms of getting me counting stats. But like – just like on the second last day of the season, I started Mike Clevenger who went one and two-thirds innings and gave up like a million runs. His ERA was 32. Oh, I, I started Taiwan Walker who went seven innings with an ERA of – over five, which isn't very good, but only had three strikeouts. I started Hunjin Ryu, who went three innings with one strikeout and gave up two runs. Like it just like it just wasn't going well. And it, things kept getting closer and closer because I just none of my streamers were working out. And then on the last day of the season, I started Jose Budo for the Mets, who went six innings, ERA of three, got a quality start for me. Kyle Harrison, five innings, ERA of zero, four strikeouts. Didn't get a quality start or a win, but that's fine. Adrian Hauser, five innings, five strikeouts, no runs, a whip of one, got a quality or got a, a win for me. And Tanner Houck, who got me a win and a quality start, zero runs over six innings. Like I went 23 innings, 21 strikeouts, four wins plus quality starts, an ERA of 0.78, and a whip of 0.87 on the last day. Jesus. And so it like all this ground I lost in my rates while trying to stay ahead of this guy in the counting stats, it all came back all at once. And I ended up like, I ended up winning by like six points. So it didn't end up looking very close, but it was real close until the end. Uh, but yeah, that was, I, I won, I won that came up short in the NFBC. Um, my seven out of new leagues, I had three firsts, a fourth, and then a, some te- leagues I rebuilt that fourth hurt a little bit. It's to, cash prizes for the top three and 
I just could not get into that top three. Uh, I, I kept being close and just not being able to break through. But yeah, overall, three and seven pretty, is pretty good for Ot New. I mean, that's that's yeah, impressive. it is. And, and that was you know that that League Thirteen that you wanted. That was one of my three. We yep. Niv and I that, that one Niv and I started the year being like we screwed up the draft. We have a ton of open cap space. We're just going to aggressively buy future assets and and you know think about next year and uh then the team like we kept hanging around the top of our division and so we started buying and sort of same thing the team that's been dominating that league over the last couple of years had otani and so by the time the the playoffs rolled around he was not quite his usual dominant self and hey we'll take it that's right so that was uh yeah, so pretty good season. I'm pretty happy with how things went. I think uh you know. You you always like I feel like no matter how well things go, I'm like, "Oh, I really wish this league. I really wish I had done better here." But I'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> so It'll be back next year. Yeah, it'll be back next year. It's the beauty of a keeper league, right? If it doesn't go well, you're already working on the future. So The one thing we did not yet do was discussed that this is episode 118, which means that there are players who wore the jersey number 18 we should talk about. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one because there really isn't any sort of all-time great who wore this number for most of their career. Joe Morgan wore it in his seven years with the Astros, but did not wear it with the Big Red Machine. He is unquestionably the best player in baseball history associated with the number seven. The best player who really wore it for their their important years is either Brett Saberhagen, who wore it with both the Royals and the Mets, or, or your boy Johnny Damon, who, who basically wore it his whole career and just, you know, wasn't Joe Morgan, which is no knock on him. But so, I mean, th- those are sort of the names that stand out. I, from a fantasy perspective, Ben Zobrist, very important number eighteen. So, I don't know. I anyone anyone else stand the, out uh, to you? No, I think we should call this the Kansas City Royals episode, right? I mean, Damon Saberhagen and even Zobrist spent a year with them, and when he was with yeah. them, he wore number eighteen. So, we're going with a team this time because it's such a odd number. Yeah, yeah. There's some other fun guys out here: Daryl Strawberry, Jason Kendall, another fantasy like that guy was fantasy gold for a while there so but yeah i'm good with that i think the the royals have have done better with this number than others for sure so the royals episode it doesn't really bode very well does it (laughs) no but whatever we work with what we got yeah fair enough so what we want to do today we've already gone over sort of a recap of of our how our season's finished up uh, but as the offseason starts, there's a couple of things going on. One is auto new arbitration will get started soon. We're recording this on Sunday, October 8th. You'll hear this on Wednesday, the, I don't know, was it the 11th, 12th, the 11th. And uh, arbitration opens on the 15th. So it's coming up soon. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get to that, Pete, you and I are already drafting, which is silly, uh, but Nick Pollock every year does this very early mock draft and then hosts each of the participants in that on his podcast to talk about like, who'd you pick? Why'd you pick them? How'd it go? Um, 
that conversation with him, by the way, is always super fun and super long. It's like, we're going to do like a oh, regular length podcast. And then two hours later, you're like, there are 23 picks. How are we going to get through all these guys? Um, we are the we are in the middle of the sixth round of that draft. And I think what, what we wanted to do, and we'll, we'll share the link to this draft in our, our notes, but what we wanted to do was talk about it from a Keeper League perspective. How is this gone or how would it go differently if it were a Keeper League? I think it's... Uh, it is important to note that this draft is not set up as a keeper league. Like it's a mock draft. It's not anything, but we are not thinking of it like a keeper league. So we're going to probably make some comments here about like, yeah, this guy definitely wouldn't have gone this earlier. This guy definitely would have gone earlier. And that is not like any of our fellow drafters. If you are listening to this at some point, which you very well might be, we are obviously not being like, why did you do this? Like, this is not like, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to look at who's in this draft. Like Scott Chu, why would you take Freddie Freeman in the first round? It's like, well, first of all, he's really good. And second of all, it's not a keeper league. So who cares that he's older? Like, it's just like, it's not where we are. So uh, yeah. But as we talk about this, I think we'll, we'll look at it from that perspective and try to talk a little bit about how rules and, and settings for keeper leagues really impact player values and how you think about it. Cause there are, there are some picks that are, I don't know. Let, let, I, I'm going to start with this. I, I have the 12th pick of the draft. I took Shohei Otani. In, in this league, Shohei is a... It, there are two Shohei, so I'm only getting the hitter Shohei. And this is a case where, like, if Otani were... If he were both ways, he probably doesn't go any earlier in this draft, but he should go earlier in keeper drafts because he will be pitching again someday. Um... But also, like our our listener keeper leagues, you can't keep your first round picks because you don't have an upgraded pick to keep them with. Otani doesn't matter as much in those picks, in those drafts, right? Because you're not keeping them anyways. Whereas if you're in a keep forever or a a uh, you know keep everyone or a keep keep without a draft cost associated with it, right? It's just like you keep six and then you do a draft after that. Um, then Otani looks like somebody should have taken it much earlier than they did because his long-term value is huge. So we'll, we'll go through that a little bit and think about how, like, you know, how some of these different picks would look under different, different circumstances. But before we, we get into the keeper values of this pick, these picks, let's, uh, Pete, you're picking 10th. How are you feeling about how your draft is going so far? Uh, I like it. Um, getting Jose Ramirez in the second round, like makes sense, but it just felt really weird because he's been such a consensus top one to five pick um, the last few seasons and obviously deservingly so. And it wasn't like he had a terrible season. So seeing him fall just that far does kind of make you appreciate just how top loaded the first round once again appears. I mean, it feels like we say that every year, right? Like, oh man, the first round is so loaded. Yeah, it's because it is because there's a lot of teams in baseball. There's a lot of good players in baseball. Um, but seeing Jose Ramirez go that late if we even want to call it that was a little bit surprising and we could talk more about that I think part of the reason for that though is just how many more stolen bases there have been in baseball uh the last season so I, I assume that's part of it I went with Matt Olson in the first round which you know from a keeper perspective there's not a lot to break down there if it was a keeper league I, I don't think I'd really care who I took in the first round but it's worth pointing out that as a reminder and folks that have been listening to us for a long time, kind of know my stance on head to head category leagues. 
and I'm sure I am once again going to talk about this with Nick when I'm on the show. I sort of don't care about stolen bases in head-to-head categories. Instead, I really want to load up on homers and counting stat guys like, like well, RBI and runs. Obviously, stolen bases is a counting cat. And Matt Olson, to me, even if he takes a half step, a full step backwards, is still going to be one of the most dominant players in those categories. And so here I am with Matt Olson. Yeah, I I totally get those picks. I think you're right on Ramirez. I think like someone made a comment in the chat about this draft that like there's going to be a ton of I can't believe this guy went so late kind of comments when people look at this. But the top of the draft, like I do think it's more stacked than it maybe it's ever been. Like it might be. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just looking at like the first boy, let's call it 18, maybe even 19 picks are almost all guys that if they'd gone to the first round, I would have been like, that's totally reasonable. Like through, I'm going to say Jordan Alvarez. So the first picks this draft, Acuna, Betts, Carroll, J-Rod, Tucker, Witt, Freeman, Tatis, Judge, Olsen, Turner, Otani, Strider, Harper, Ramirez, Soto, Cole, Riley, and then Jordan Alvarez. After that, even like Ozzy Albies, Lindor was insane value this year. Marcus Simeon was incredible. Seager. Like, you're going almost through the end of the second round, and there's almost all guys that, like, at the end of the first round, I still would have considered those guys. So I was thinking about, so it was between Soto and Ramirez for that second pick, but the number three on that list, by the time I finally made my decision, was Corey Seager, who went at the end of the round. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, it, it's, it's just crazy. And honestly, like, I, the the pick that I I almost struggle with the most out of that whole group is Tatis, who just wasn't quite as good this year as I think we hoped he would be, um, and it wasn't just volume with him; he just he just wasn't as good. And so, but like, can you really argue with that? Like, we know, like you 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 and I have been on opposite sides of Tatis all along. I think at least this year, where I've said like I'm worried about him coming back from being away so long, blah blah. So like for me, there's a little bit of like. What happened reinforced my concerns, and so that's why I'm a little low on him. But like, as you have pointed out, and, and rightfully so, like he is like he could be the number one player in fantasy fairly easily. So it's a uh, yeah, it, it's it is a stacked top of the draft. Um, that is part of why I took the twelfth pick when I because we got to just sort of select our draft spots, and I was like. I think I want two of the top 13 guys. And, and looking at it now, I kind of feel like I could have been picking as like sixth, fifth, and gotten two of the top 20 guys and been very happy. So, yeah, it'll, that'll be an interesting thing with like, you know, setting draft orders because we're, we're going to have to do that in our keeper leagues. And it'll be interesting to see like, what does that look like this year? Because I, I think I'm usually I want to be sort of like, mid first round because I've got like my five guys that are the five best and I want to get one of them. So I want to be somewhere in that first few picks, but I'd like to be at the end of it. So I want to be fourth or fifth. I'll take whatever's left of the top five guys. Um, And this year I started to think like, well, I think I want to be as late as possible because I want two of the top 15 guys and I don't really care which two it is necessarily. And now I'm back to thinking like maybe I want to be like fifth because I think 
my first and second round picks would be awesome. I'm all in, as you know, on Spencer Strider. I agreed with you and you said it in the chat. Like, why is Otani going so late? I think, you know, like we kicked around, part of it might just be because we're drafting so early. It's the fear of the unknown. It's this, you know, could Shohei Otani potentially miss April or something like that. And that's probably why. But even a healthy Shohei Otani, who's only utility, not as a pitcher, in a two utility league, especially like, yeah, yeah. that's still that's still a top 10 hitter. So, um, and Spencer Strider, I mean, I, Garrett Cole's great. And, you know, whoever want, you want to put after that, be it Gossman, who I believe went next or Corbin Burns or Zach Wheeler, whoever, they're all great. I think Strider has separated himself. And I know the ERA since May was like over four or whatever, which is definitely concerning. The strikeout numbers are such an outlier that I'm considering in a keeper league because it's a strike. It's a K per nine league giving up a first round pick just to keep Spencer Strider because he is yeah. such a standout in strikeouts. Well, and you know, his ERA on the year is 3.86. His FIP, XFIP, and Sierra are all under three. Right. Uh his X ERA, which is sort of like the stat cast expected ERA, is 3.04. Uh so I am reasonably confident taking a bet that his ERA will come down next year. And like, honestly, my thought would my so I, my plan for this draft after I took the 12th pick was I am, as you know, I never take early pitching. It's just not my style. And I was like, end of the first round, this draft is always hitting heavy. I'm going to take Strider and Cole at the turn. That was my plan. And I was like, I'm going to take those two and I'm going to go with a totally different approach. I'm going to see how it plays out. Um, and then nobody took Otani. And I was like, I sort of think I can get the best hitter in baseball and the best pitcher in baseball with the last pick of the first round or the first pick of the second round. I'm going to do that. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, you go look at, you know, go pull up a leaderboard and pick your favorite offensive stat. My, you know, I, I'm looking at WRC plus Shohei Otani first in baseball and WRC plus. If you prefer Woba, Shohei Otani first in baseball and Woba. Like it's a, you know, the, the, the strider argument, I think is almost a harder argument because the RA wasn't very good this year, but yeah, I think they are the, I think Otani is the best hitter and I think strider is the best pitcher in baseball and I got them both. I'm very happy with that. Um, I ended up, so it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, Gaussman did go third among pitchers. Then you started listing other pitchers who could have gone in that top group. The, the fourth pitcher off the board was also me. And I took Zach Gallon. I took him over Wheeler, Castillo, and Burns, who are the next three. Was that should I have gone with one of those three instead of with Gallon? Um, so the first, honestly, the first thing I notice is not the three pitchers that go next, but the the odd like this is where these two early drafts get so weird for me because it's so strange seeing these hitters, and so yeah. I I thought it was more like I'm going to take a pitcher because there's a noticeable drop off in quality of bats. And that that's not to fire shots at Adelise Garcia, who I think is terrific. But then we get yeah. O'Neill Cruz, Mike Trout, Christian Walker, who's been phenomenal the last two seasons. I, I, you know, like I, I'm not saying he's not worth it. Kyle Schwarber, who didn't hit his weight and Nolan Jones, who <laughs> I mean, wow. Right. So I thought that was uh, early on Jones for sure. Yeah. 
whatever the case may be, the hitters that now start to come and Bryson Stott and CJ Abrams, they're just to me, and this is crazy to say, not as safe as those four pitchers that went. So Gallon, I, I would have taken any of those four starters. I'm a little worried about Corbin Burns, to be honest yeah. with you, but uh, Castillo, Wheeler, and Gallon, like have your pick. Uh, th- those are all great picks. Castillo ended up being my first pitcher, and I felt great about that. I thought I got a top five starting pitcher in the fourth round. Yeah, I was I the other the other names. I was not looking at birds. I mean, I looked at birds because if you're looking at a pitcher there, you have to at least consider him. But I wasn't seriously considering him because I am a little concerned and not concerned like, oh, I think he's bad now, but concerned like there are other really great starting pitchers. I'm not taking the guy (laughs) I'm concerned about. Um, I looked at Gallon. I looked at Wheeler. I looked at Castillo and I looked at Blake Snell, who ended up going at the end of that round, those were the guys. And I ended up deciding like Snell was a little risky, which is sort of how that played out. Uh, and yeah, the, then among those other three, it was like, this was a case where I sort of wish I was pick, picking where you picked instead of where I picked. Cause I would have just as happily like let someone else make the choice for me by taking two of those pitchers before they got to me. But, but yeah, I, that was, that was my thinking of the pitching there too was like, I was really hoping my I, so my two picks in the third and fourth were Bo Bichette and Zach Gallen, and I was really hoping Michael Harris, who went the pick before me, would get to me. He was going to be my pick there. I probably would have gone Harris Bichette until Harris got picked. Um, but yeah, I looked at the bats that were available, and like I'll be honest, two of the top bats on my board at that point after Bichette, I had Bichette, and then a big drop off. But two of the guys I would have considered with my fourth round pick were Matt McClain and Jordan Walker, who I took in the fifth and sixth. Mm-hmm. And that's not to be like, look at the guys who fell back to me because I think I'm reaching for both of them a little bit. But I felt like anybody I was taking there it was a little bit of a reach. And that was when I was like, you know what? There have only been three starting pitchers taken. I could have two of my top, really two of my top three or four choices. I, I, I don't know that I would have taken. Gaussman went... You know, early third round, I think he is closer to the Gallon Wheeler Castillo group than he looks on this draft board. Um, which is not a knock on Joe Galina who took him where he did. I think like he was a perfectly reasonable option as the third pitcher off the board. But for me, it was like, you know, the the, the clear top two are gone. And now the clump that is third is still sitting there mostly, except for Gaussman. So I'm just going to jump at that now because those guys are not going to make it back to me. And I just, this next group of like 30 hitters, and it really is a group of like 30 hitters. And I was like, yeah. I don't know. So I felt pretty good about that. You, as you said, after you took Olsen and Ramirez, you took Randy Rosarena the third. Then you took two pitchers, Castillo and Glassow in the fourth and fifth. And you just took Brian Reynolds in the sixth. I, I really like, I like what you're doing. I mean, in Glassow, like we... You and I have talked at, at length about Glass now. Like you took him as the let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelfth pitcher off the board. And like he's a top ten pitcher if he throws 180 innings. Right? And there's I mean, the, the ultimate question, right? I mean, to me, if yeah. he throws 180, you know how I feel about him. I think he's top three at worst, but probably getting getting there is is the battle for him. Yeah. Castillo's kind of safe, not right. Like if any pitcher's safe, if you can say a pitcher's safe, then like Castillo's in that group that we can call safe. And so I felt yeah. like the balance was there. 
Well, that was one thing I felt about my two picks is <clears throat> my two pitcher picks was that Strider and Gallon to me are guys that I'm just like, I'm pretty confident I know what I'm getting from them. Um, and so I liked that piece of it here. If I'm going to take a pitcher early, I want to be pretty confident in that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Let's uh let let's pivot now to talking a little bit about keeper leagues, and let's start with this. Are are there any picks on here that you're like, you know, you took? Are there any picks in here you would have done differently if this were a keeper league? And, and let, let's for now assume that like it's a you know plus one round keeper cost. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you would have been like? Oh, I, I think I would have done this instead. Yeah. So I. I... I almost wish I did this in the draft itself. Um, like the, the, this being a redraft, let alone not a, not a keeper, uh, would be taking Michael Harris Jr. over Randy Arozarena. That was a, a tough call for me. I, part of it came down to position and lineup with this being a redraft league. Like I think Randy Arozarena is just going to continue to stack numbers. He was up and down this year. And like the last time I checked in on him was he was just tearing the cover off the ball. I looked at the final results. I was like, all right, well, the walk rate was abnormally high, but uh, the final counting stats weren't quite as good as I thought they were. And obviously Michael Harris Jr. down the stretch lit the world on fire. If it was a keeper league, I would have definitely flip-flopped those two. I'd still be okay with Randy Rosarena, but when you're picking this early, like a player really has to have crazy upside to even be considered keeping. And I think Michael Harris Jr. for a second round pick, which is what he would cost if I took him in the third and then kept him. Um, like there could potentially be a situation in which you keep that player, especially if you're picking at the end of the second round. Um, whereas a Rosarena, I don't, I don't see a world in which he's worth keeping for a second. Like he might be like a second round player, but he's not going to be necessarily worth keeping at, for a second round pick. So those two, I would have flip flopped. That makes sense. I actually like I, I I agree with your assessment that maybe you should have done that anyways. Like I said, I was I would say I, I checked in right after the Gunnar Henderson pick, and then I didn't look again until my pick came up. It's so that third round: Devers, Gaussman, Robert, Bellinger, Gunnar Henderson went fifth. That was when I checked in, and then Altuve, Ellie, Vlad. Machado, Arozarena, and Harris went before I picked Bichette. Um, when I checked in, I took a quick look and I was like, Harris, that's the guy I want. And and Bichette was actually second on my list. I, I wanted him over, sorry, Altuve, Harris, Altuve, Bichette were my top three. Um, and I was like, I hope, you know, I hope one of these guys falls to me, maybe two. Um, Harris almost made it. I, I think had those three guys all gone, a Rosarena would have been in my consideration set there for sure. Vlad and Machado and Ellie, I, I had a harder time with, but that Ellie and Vlad are both examples of guys who in a keeper league structure would have moved up for me. Um, not necessarily up from where they are, but they weren't really guys I was strongly considering in the third. I would have maybe done them in the fourth or fifth, but they'd be bigger considerations for me because they are two guys like Vlad could hit 50 bombs and become the guy we thought he was going to be. And, and Ellie obviously has the ability to do something real special. I, I personally, I think first base is deep enough these days that 
again. It's sort of gone back and forth, but it's deep enough again that the, the I just I don't know. I, I'm not that I'm not that engaged with Vlad right now. I have him in that dynasty league that I won, and I'm not you know I'm not upset to have him in a dynasty league because uh, there's no cost associated with him. So that's that's wonderful. But I'm not that excited about him. And Ellie, like as exciting as he is, and like. He is very exciting. Like as I, I think we've talked about, I do a, a trip every summer with my son to go to a different baseball stadium. He has already told me he wants to do Cincinnati next year because he wants to see Ellie Dela Cruz. Right? Like that's grow the kind of player Ellie Dela Cruz is. <laughs> what? I said grow in the game. That's right. Yeah. And like that's been like, you know, we went a couple years ago, we went to Petco because he wanted to see Tatis. Like that's like that drives a lot of what you know how he decides where he wants to go, and point being like Ellie is that exciting. He wasn't actually very good though. <laughs> like he was good for like two weeks where he looked like I I don't know Ricky Henderson or something, and then yeah, yeah. things went south. I want to hit the pause button and go back for a second if you don't mind. Okay, I I think we need to talk about Vlad, and I'm gonna I, I want you to are are you looking at a Statcast page? Uh. uh no, but I will pull it up. Don't. No, 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 don't, no, don't. Don't. Okay. I want to I'm going to I'm going to give you some numbers and I want you to guess. Okay? Um so Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year in uh-huh. 682 plate appearances had 26 home runs. Okay? And and I think yeah. in our heads we picture Vlad as a big power guy. 682 plate appearances. That's a ton. 26 home runs. That's not that much. Okay? Right. Now I'm going to give you some figures from last year. Last year his launch angle was 4.3 degrees. His ground ball rate was 52.3%. What do you think his launch angle and ground ball rate was this year? I actually think his ground ball rate went down. Like, I just okay. think I'm remembering that, and his launch angle went up. But I'm guessing not by very much in either case. Give me a guess. Because I, I, tell, I tell me, the last year was 4.3 and 53%-ish. I yeah. bet it was like... Six and forty-eight percent. Okay, I probably would have guessed something similar, maybe a little bit worse. His launch angle, Chad, was ten point five degrees. His ground ball rate dropped almost eight. Well, it dropped seven percentage points to forty-five point three percent, and he still only hit twenty-six homers in almost seven hundred plate appearances. So I I don't know what's going on there. And like that has been the thing all along with Vlad, right? We all think he's immensely talented because he is. He's still only 24 years old. I'm not saying like it's time to give up on Vlad Jr. at all, but give up on him. He's done. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck is going on here? Yeah, I I don't know. And like, you know, the year that he had his his biggest year, they was was the uh 2021 season and i think that was the year they split time in their like triple a park or something like that but it's not just park because like i'm looking at his expected home runs now that i now that i've finished my guessing game and i can pull up his savant page i'm looking at his expected home runs by park and like his best expected home runs for a park not surprisingly is cincinnati and it's 36 He's got, you know, Seattle, he'd be at 31, Houston, 32. That's kind of it. Those are the only parks that he'd be over 30. So 
I, I don't know. I also think like you look at his his slugging versus his X slugging based on Satcast and or his Woba versus X Woba. Like either one, like he had some Statcast would say whether it's bad luck or whatever, but like you know his X his slugging was four forty four, which is you know not only not what we expect from him, but it's it's bad for a first baseman. His X slugging is four ninety four. So. Yeah, I think it's I think it is safe to say Vlad will you should expect more from Vlad next year than you got this year. I am I you know I'm gonna be in Vegas in a few weeks. If they have an over under on him at like twenty nine point five home runs for next year, after he hit twenty six this year, I'll take the over. He's gonna hit thirty home runs next year. The problem is that if I'm looking at drafting him this early, like that's not good enough. And I don't right. know how confident I am he's going to hit 40. So, I, now, again, in a keeper league, he is more intriguing because I think he's a pretty safe bet to be good, right? I can't count him to be great, but he's a pretty safe bet to be a good hitter. The floor is, um, is high with Vlad Jr., for sure. Yeah. It's very high. And and the ceiling is still best Fair first enough. base bat in baseball. Sure. And in a keeper league, if I could get him in the third and keep him for a second next year and a first the year after, like those are both quite possibly good keeper values on Vlad. Sure. So I, he he moves up my board for sure in that case. Um, yeah. I. <sighs> But I, yeah, I think I'm with you on Harris. I think for me, looking at my draft and the guys I would move up or do things I would do differently, um, I probably flip my Strider and Otani picks because mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to keep one of them next year. I would rather keep Otani, especially if it's a single Otani. Um, if it's you know dual Otanis, I probably still flip them, just because I'm less likely to give up a first round pick for a pitcher, even if it's Strider, than I am for a hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I probably actually I probably flip my third and fourth round picks as well. Now, I because I picked a third, I have the ability to do this. Um, it is something that if you were picking at the turn of the keeper league, is really important to pay attention to. I would have gone Strider, Otani, Gallon, Bichette instead of Otani, Strider, Bichette, Gallon. Would you flip Walker and McLean? McLean was I don't, so so. So out of this world good. I know. I, I don't know. I'll be honest. I think they're both good keepers at the prices they'll be keepers at based on what I expect them to do this coming year. Like, and we could talk a little bit about that for a moment. Like McLean, who, so McLean is 24 years old. He just turned 24 a couple months ago. He came somewhat out of nowhere. Like he was, he was a known, but not necessarily an elite prospect and was incredible in triple a this year in 180 plate appearances and then yeah in 403 plate appearances and keep in mind he he was hitting high in the orders so that's only 89 games he played it's it's just over half a season despite the fact that it's 403 plate appearances 16 homers 14 stolen bases 65 runs 50 rbis he hit 290 like He's the whole package, and he is second base and shortstop eligible, um, 
which made a big difference for me because I'd already taken Bichette. Uh, but I think, like, you know, looking at some of the teams here, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams, including me, that have taken a middle infielder. If you're a team that either hasn't or has only taken one, I'm the only team that's taken two, I believe. Oh, no, there's other, there's other sorry, I counted wrong, so I was only counting shortstops. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams have taken a middle infielder. And there are one, two, three, four, including me, that have taken two. But if you're a team that's only taken one or a team that's that has not taken one, the fact that he's eligible at both positions is super valuable. Uh, so I like that, too. I, he looks like a star. Um, and I think that, like, you know, if he ends up being a guy who puts up the, the almost 30-30 season that he was on pace for as a shortstop, um, and given that roster, there's a good chance he continues to move around and has multi-position eligibility for a, multiple years. Um, yeah, I, I think he'll be an easy keep with a, you know, I took him in the the fifth. He would be an easy keep for a fourth. He'd be an easy keep for a fifth. Great. Jordan Walker is, you know, only been able to drink for four months. He's still only 21. And he got off that slow start. He was so highly touted before the season. So highly touted before the season. And everybody was like expecting him to be a star. Breaks camp with the team. He is with the Cardinals through almost the end of April. And gets sent down. He had a 98 WRC plus when he got sent down. That's not bad. Like, it just, it's it's a solid, it, it is impressive for a guy who at the time was still just 20 years old. He comes back at the beginning of June, sticks around through the rest of the season. It has a 120 WRC plus the rest of the way. 277 average, 14 home runs, five stolen bases in a little over half a season. He's a kid, right? So I look at the growth he's already had and I see the potential for Walker. He's not going to be a 30 30 guy, but like, like looking at the draft board, the potential for him to be a. Alvarez, Harper, Soto type fantasy bat is pretty high, I think. It's not a given. That's why he's a sixth-round pick and not a second. But if it is age 21 season, he shows any growth from last year or his age 20, whatever it'll be, uh, he's going to jump into that tier for me. And that, that, so like, I feel good about keeping both of those guys. So then you would, because he wasn't even, when we when we talked about our keepers in the listener leagues, I took Jordan Walker in the ninth round in listener league one. Now I can't remember if that's the league where they climb by one round or two. I think they climb by two rounds, which would make Jordan Walker a seventh rounder to keep. Now, obviously this is all circumstantial and context matters. Like what are my other keepers yeah. and everything else? But it sounds like Jordan Walker for a seventh round pick going into next year. Obviously you would view that as a keeper. I just took him in the sixth. <laughs> so yeah. okay, so that, that that I don't know. Maybe I gotta I gotta think this over again because I thought, all right, I reached, I took a gamble, and it just didn't work out. But I'm seeing that 342 OBP, you know. But obviously, the upside now, I'm beginning to think a little bit differently about it. Right, and, and all of those numbers, like his season long numbers, like other than his, I think his batting average is basically the same, but like. 
his OBP 346 after he came back was only 342 before. Like that WRC plus, like I said, it went from a 98. Sorry. His other season, he has a 116 WRC plus, 341, 340, yeah, 341 Woba, 347 Woba since he came back, 120 uh, WRC plus. Like everything was was like trending the right direction as well. He had a couple of months, like his, uh, his WRC plus by month. The other thing is he came back in June, was really good. That was terrible in July. It was good in August and great in September. So like, it's just, everything was just trending the right way. Um, I, I just really like what I see from him. And yeah, I, Yes, I, I mean, I don't think like I don't think throwing him back for a seventh is crazy either. Like, if you have other keepers, fine. But if you, uh, I don't know, I, I think he could be kept there for sure. Well, I think it, it's important for folks to keep in mind. Not that this would change my decision, especially in a five outfielder league. But he will not have third base next year, and that was actually the right. only reason I even took the gamble on him to begin with because. If people remember, third base washed up really quick in drafts, and it washed up in this one. I said, you know what? I could have someone lame, or I can try try and take a gamble on Jordan Walker, and that's how he ended up on my roster. I will point out with Matt McLean to keep, or to I guess put a cap on these two guys is I, I am all in, and you know what? Yeah, you can say part of his success is due to Great American Ballpark. Well, <laughs> guess where he's going to play next year? Like that's not going right. to change. The BABIP was almost four hundred. That was at three eighty five. That's and the strikeout true. rate was almost 30%. That was 28 and a half. I, the reason why I'm not ready to like full on panic on those numbers, especially the strikeout rate is this is a guy who didn't even have 800 plate appearances in the minor leagues. Like yeah. that, that like warming up that, that seasoning that needs to take place. Really? He didn't have a chance. So if he's putting up these numbers with a 28.5% strikeout rate, what happens if he lowers that strikeout rate? So right. I, I think sometimes it's important to view it from both sides. It's not like this reckoning is coming. Give the guy a chance to perform better. Um, I, I saw on Twitter, this was during the season. I'm sorry, on X, uh, that some <laughs> fantasy analysts were kicking around like, is Matt McClain like a third or fourth rounder? And when you pace out those numbers, like you said, on pace for 30-30, I don't think it's a crazy question. So he's somebody who on that that high and low like on, on NFBC, when you go to see like what's the earliest they were taken, what's the last they were taken, he is going to have an outrageous range. Um, yeah. Because there's just so many extremes on on both sides of the argument. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it, it is going to be a, a wide range. And I think like to your point about like people debating, is he a third or fourth round pick? Like I was very, like I said, I, I was considering him in the third or fourth, which is why I didn't take him because I don't think he is quite there. <laughs> but when he was still there in the fifth, you know, and keep in mind for me, a fourth round pick and a fifth round pick are 24 picks apart or whatever, right? So like it's a long ways between those when you're picking at the turn. Um, so yeah, I, I I think there will be leagues he goes as high as the third for sure. I think he'll probably slip down as low as like the ninth or 10th. And I'm, I'm pretty happy to have taken him where I did. So uh anyone else in here Let, let's so uh, let's get rid of the, the keeper cost for a second is there anything you would do differently if you could keep guys with no cost like does that change your first round pick if you could have kept your first round pick without a cost man that is such a great 
question. Honestly, the one, hmm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna exclude Otani for a second because obviously, if there is no cost associated, then Shohei Otani is the pick for me. I think the one player in this particular format, I'm gonna throw out two, and I think you're you're gonna disagree with one of them. The two players that I would have strongly considered over Matt Olson and maybe actually would have done would be Jordan Alvarez, who I don't think is the one that you would necessarily disagree with, and Juan Soto. I think those two, if there were no cost associated with keepers, I would consider taking over Matt Olson because of the format. Again, head-to-head categories, I think power is king, and um, I'm considering players like that. I'm not. I don't care about speed. Like Trey Turner went later, Jose Ramirez went later. I, I, those are the three that I would consider in the first round, anyway. I don't think I'd argue with either of those. To be honest, like they're both they're both guys who could go in the first round. And I, I think the the key with them in a in a you know no cost keeper scenario is they're pretty safe, right? Like they're going to be elite hitters for a long time. Um, yeah, this is also one where like, it's a three outfield league, which makes the gap between first base and outfield, not quite what it would be in like a five outfield league, right? The five outfield league, Olsen gets pushed down only because those outfielders have to be pushed up. Um, yeah, I don't think, I I don't think I have the issue with include Gunnar Henderson in that group. Is that too crazy? Because Gunner had an atrocious start and then otherwise was basically a top 15 player. On a team that uh, is on a rocket, straight up. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you'd be crazy. Um, Obviously, age is the number one reason, but I think the production it might be closer than we think it is. Yeah, it could be. I also think I'm just taking a quick look. He did get enough start. Like he he is going to be both shortstop and third base eligible next year, basically everywhere. I think. Yeah. Yes, he is. So, you know, we'll see where he ends up next year, but that matters too, and so I could see that. But I, I don't know. I I mean. The uh, <clears throat> the the gap between the production of Gunnar Henderson and Matt McLean <laughs> is not that big. How they got to that production is different, right? The the bat pip and the strikeout rate and stuff like that's so, like I'm I'm not trying to make a McLean is actually Gunnar Henderson and they should be picked back to back argument. Like that's that's not where I'm going with this, but. I don't think Henderson showed us first round production. And I am uh I have a hard time using a first round pick at a guy who hasn't shown us first round production when like let's be honest here. There the first 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, maybe as much as the first 20. 25-ish picks in this draft have flat, have shown us first round production at some point in their careers. I, I don't I don't see how I could take Gunner. Now I might move Gunner above some of those guys in the second round, but I don't think I could move him up to the first round 
because he just he hasn't done it. Yeah, I, and as always, you know, full season production is is more indicative of success than than cherry picking stats. Um, I just I hope folks realize just how bad of a first two months Gunner had. So to finish with a hundred runs, twenty eight homers, and whatever it was, eighty two RBI. If you just looked at his WRC plus since the end of May, so since June first, his WRC plus was exactly the same as Bobby Witt Jr. and Luis Robert. So, like, I, I think Gunner's in this weird spot where it's taking a huge gamble to take him any earlier than he went in this draft, but he could be just as good as anybody. The upside's big. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Any uh, any of these drafts. Like anyone, any other teams draft that you look at, you're like, that would be a great keeper draft. Maybe a better keeper draft than it is hmm. a redraft draft. Better keeper draft than a redraft draft. Well, I've always felt like Luis Robert has like first round upside. Um, so to get him in the third, I think he actually has keeper value potentially in a in a plus one league. Um, and then I see C.J. Abrams in the fifth, who like. Folks, remember, I mean, this is like a this was what a top three prospect in baseball at the time of the Juan Soto trade. Um, and he like was like 20 years old trying to hit major league pitching and people were already jumping off ship. So when I see uh, what team is that, that's uh, Schwebzy with Robert Schwebzy. in the third and CJ Abrams in the fifth. Like I, I see a lot of upside there. Is it something that I'd be like, that's definitely going to be a, going to be a good keeper set? I don't know. Um, I mean, your team with Otani like being one of the only players who's just simply worth a first round pick to keep then the best pitcher Bo Bichette who has has gone as high as like fifth overall on in terms of ADP in the past and he's yeah. also like a child and then McLean right. Walker like that that's obviously a pretty good potential keeper set as well yeah that probably speaks to my bias when I'm drafting right like I'm so used to <laughs> drafting for keepers that I, I probably sure. over index and like ooh this guy could be worth so much more, which I think still works in redraft. Cause like for me, it's, you know, like if McLean and Walker and Bichette and all, like if these guys are like obvious keepers next year, it's because they were good picks this year. Right. So like, but I am definitely there. My team, I'm definitely playing an upside game for sure. Especially with those last two picks of McLean and Walker. And I probably, as I look at this draft, I probably need to draft some floor at some point. Uh, so that might have to be next. I guess Scott um, Chu would be there too. Um, like Ellie and O'Neill Cruz, what a fun combination. Like those two we've seen yeah. since both of them we called up have first round upside. If they ever reach it, we'll see. And then George Kirby, um, Scott's one of the few people that's had a chance to pick in the sixth round. George Kirby for a sixth in terms of keeper value might be the best current pitcher on the board. Uh, I, I would actually say unquestionably, Keeper value wise, the best uh, pitcher taken on the board right now. And again, this is not a keeper league, so that's right. obviously important context. But I considered him instead of Glass now, and I even considered him when I picked Castillo. So big Kirby guy. Yeah, I, the other the other draft that stands out to me a little bit is Steve Gisuele. I think that's how you pronounce that. I've been on their show, so I should know this. Uh, but Steve, like Judge Soto in the first two rounds, you talked about in the keeper league. Soto is the kind of guy who like you would have moved up. Um, he got him in the second Machado is another one of these has like flashed first round potential at times, like his or production at times. I don't know if he's going to do it again, but like 
he's a pretty he's a pretty reliable pick in the third round and and could prove to be a keeper. Corbin Burns being the best pitcher in baseball at some point again is not out of the question. He has him in the fourth. Jazz, I know how you feel about Jazz in the fifth. And then Torkelson was really good. Like, I think people lost. He's another one of these guys who, like, people 100%. just sort of missed how good he was because his start was so bad. Um, And so, like, pull up his splits real quick. He he had a 121 WRC plus in the second half. Uh, and so that was with 19 home runs in just over 300 plate appearances. I, I, I mean, I like, I don't know. Is he, how different is he next year from Christian Walker? So that's a great name to bring up. Because Christian Walker is one of those guys who, like, we all have those guys who we just refuse to buy into for whatever reason. Yeah. Oddly enough for me, <clears throat> um, Randy Rosarain is one of them, and I ended up taking him in this draft. But I think I would take Torkelson over Christian Walker. I, I just think the upside has always been there with Torkelson, and maybe finally he's just realizing it a little bit late. These guys that get called up when they're so young, especially to bad teams, cough C.J. Abrams. Um sometimes just figure it out a little bit later. Now, with that said, I can't remember if I was listening to rates and barrels or fantasy baseball today. It had to be one of them. And they were just talking about like, yes, this is really exciting. You know, Torkelson almost 200 combined runs, RBIs and 30 homers. Like if I told you that before the season, we would all assume he's probably like a, a second round pick now because of the upside, but how much he's going to be limited so long as he stays in Detroit. And there are absolutely no signs that he is going anywhere. And how much that ballpark is going to impact his BABIP, impact his home run potential? Like, could he be a 40-homer guy? He probably would have been. I, I don't have it up in front of me at Great American, uh, which, you know, whatever. That's it's, it's, that's meaningless. But, like, yeah. the fact that Detroit is holding him back, like, that's not a neutral park. That is a brutal no. park to hit in. I think that is going to have some long-term, obviously have long-term right. impacts on Detroit. So... I am looking right now. The last four first basemen taken so far are Torque, Goldie, Walker, and Vlad. Okay? Mm-hmm. They're taken in the Vlad in the third, Walker in the fourth, Goldie in the fifth, Torque in the sixth. Since July 1st, basically half the season. Okay, all four of these guys since July 1st have played between 76 and 80 games. All four of these guys since July 1st have between 325 and 345 plate appearances. Half a season. Of those four guys, where do you think Torkelson ranks in home runs? Torque, Walker, Vlad, Goldie. Since you said... July 1st. Uh, Basically, not the second half. He's first in home runs. Where does he rank in runs? I'll say first. First. Where does he rank at RBIs? You should just keep guessing first. He ranks first. Yeah. He is he is not first at average, but he's at 242. Goldie and Vlad were both 250. Walker's behind him at 237. Um, the only place he lags is he only stole one base. Vlad stole two, Goldie three, Walker seven. Which is he was, an anomaly, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But he was unquestionably the best player of these four since July 1st. He is also, 
I think, still the youngest of these four. It is possible that Vlad is younger than him. Uh, let's double check that. Vlad uh, is 24 years and six months. Torkelson is younger. 24 years and one month. God, Vlad is so young. That is just crazy to me. Um, but he is the youngest of these guys. He's been the best of them. If, you, if you'd rather look at like Woba, he's a 349. The second best was Walker at 338. Vlad at 334, Goldie at 329, WRC plus, he's at 123, Vlad 114, Walker 111, Goldie 108. Now, you just said a moment ago, full season is more indicative than a half season. Like, that's all true. Torkelson legit broke out. He was the best of these four guys. I love that from a keeper value perspective in the sixth. And I think you can make a legitimate claim he should have been taken before any of those guys this year in recent. In keeper leagues, he goes before all he taking him before Goldie or Walker in a keeper league is an obvious decision to me. In redraft, I think he probably still should be taken before them. So in redraft, Vlad, I, I'm putting him in a different tier because while he was better than Vlad, I just don't. I think we're he's a different player. Uh, yeah, I. I don't think I'd take him ahead of Vladdin either. I don't think I'm, I'm even ready Agreed. for that argument yet, even though I've been a, a pretty pro Torkelson person since he got called up, which is not some hot take. He's the number one overall pick in baseball. Like, Sure. But I, I just, I have a hard time in redraft being fully ready to take him over Goldschmidt. I know how poor of a season Goldschmidt had relative to our expectations, but Goldschmidt has already once before been the undertaker meme of coming back from the dead. Um, he's a player who we've been consistently high on on this show. And I just think it was such a weird crap year for the Cardinals. It just seemed like everything on the field and off the field for them just wasn't right. And so I, 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 I basically what I'm saying is Goldschmidt has been so good for so long. I may want to give him one more shot to outproduce Spencer Torkelson, but it is extremely close. And I would not, I would not hesitate to, to take Torkelson over him and keeper. That's for sure. I will also just note that his comeback from the dead year, his his quote unquote dead year was a three forty six Woba in twenty nineteen when he was still very good. Um, he actually is better than that this year with a three fifty Woba was Goldie, but his bounce back that year he was thirty one years old and he bounced back for thirty two, thirty three, thirty four before falling off at, at age thirty five. He's now he turned thirty six in September. That's a very different age to come back and, and, and rebound than 31. It, it, that's fair. But, it, I mean, it's not like he took some ginormous step back this year either, right? Like, maybe relative to 2022, which I guess is the definition of a step back. But he was, like, abnormally a god in 2022. Um, in 2023, we're still talking a 122 WRC+. plus. Like, if that team He's around so him did anything, like, we might not even be having this conversation. Yeah, I, I think we still would because he fell off so much in the second half. Um, and he was like, he he was bad in September, right? He had a great March, April, May time frame and then was merely okay for July, June, July, August. It was bad in September. And so I think you're seeing decline that that is concerning. And so... I, yeah, I, I'm going to go out there and say I, I would, in redraft, I would take Torkelson 
I'm not taking him over Freeman. I'm not taking him over Olsen. I'm not taking him over Vlad. I think he's my fourth third baseman off the board. So we both agree we would take Torkelson over Christian Walker because, again, a player I've sold short. I'll admit that. I've been wrong. It's hurt me, I'm sure, in leagues. But to me, at this point, at the very least, they're the same thing. And Torkelson is younger. And I think he's got a lot more upside to improve on that strikeout rate, whereas Christian Walker pretty much is what he is. Although, to be fair to him, plate discipline improved for him as well. Yeah. This isn't a knock at Walker. Torkelson just like... He's like Torkelson has potential to be the best hitter in baseball, right? And I'm not saying he's like that. He hasn't done it. He who knows if he'll actually reach that. But like we've known since he was in college that he has that kind of upside. And Walker just I don't think does. I think Walker is very good. I'm not. This is not a knock on Walker. I just think Torkelson's ceiling is higher. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's that. I don't think that's super debatable. I wouldn't draft him over Walker just because his ceiling is higher. He's been better than him for the last half a season, right? And and the the other thing that's important about this sort of half season is a half season of data, yes, is less than a full season of data. But with a young player who's figuring things out, developing, and like that more recent data, it's more meaningful, right? And so like, you know, I, I was just talking about what a bad September Goldie had and how he wasn't really that good after May. Despite having just said that, I care less about that for Goldie than I would for a younger player. He has a longer track record. We have more data to go off of. And I don't like, I worry a little bit about aging with him. And like, is he, is this decline showing up? But I also like, I don't think he's changing fundamentally who he is as a player. For a young guy like Torkelson who came up and struggled and, and, and then found something, there I'm like, that last half season might actually be more meaningful. And it's 340-some plate appearances or whatever. It's not like, I'm not talking about his last two weeks. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm going to say this. In, in a keeper league, he is unquestionably my fourth outfielder, or fourth outfielder, fourth first baseman off the board. I'm still taking Freeman on Olsen before him. I'm still betting on Vlad over him. In redraft, I think he might still be my fourth first baseman. But it's it's I in redraft, if you were like, eh, I still like Walker is safer, Goldie is still got that upside, like I get it. Um I think so that's a you, great pick. I so. you might just be forgetting. Are are you taking him over Pete Alonzo? Oh, I completely missed a lot. Alonzo's like way over on the left side of the board here. <laughs> so, and he, yeah, the he, other he reality was, is he, Bryce Harper is also going to have first base next year in most formats. Yeah. So, like, uh, it, it's a little bit more technical, but those traditional, I guess. Yeah. He's behind Sorry. Alonzo is still third for me. So, that's the yes. Yeah. So, he would be fifth after Freeman, Olsen, Alonzo, and Vlad. Harper, actually, Harper, now that he went, he is only a first baseman, isn't he? He definitely so he needs have to be oh, man. I messed up. I messed this all up. Totally wrong. Uh, the point remains. He's higher than probably on most people's boards. Yeah. Because uh, he, I'm just checking check now. Harper did not play an inning in the outfield this year. Right. So he, this is one of those where I like, I get on my like uh, high horse about 
you know, the way that leagues set of eligibility and stuff. And they're like, there's these random, some of the platforms are like, the player is eligible at their primary position, plus any position where they did these other things. And it's like, okay, if he didn't get at least five starts, like we're, we're using Yahoo eligibility here, right? Nice. If he didn't get those five starts in, or 10 games, that's not his primary position. So if you're playing in a league where Harper has outfield eligibility, you're doing it wrong. He shouldn't. He doesn't like he he maybe earns it back. I think there's a good chance he he moves back to the outfield and earns it back. Um, but he shouldn't have it to start. But yes, let's uh let's take another closer look at the board and say Freeman, Olsen, Harper, Alonzo, Vlad are the top five first basemen. Is there anyone else in here that I am missing who is actually a first baseman? Uh, I don't think so. In this format, Nolan Jones will have it. He won't have it on ESPN. He had nine starts. But But I'm not worried about, like, let's leave out the guys who you could play. Even regardless of whether I would take Jones over Torkelson as a first baseman, which I don't think I would. I would take Mm -hmm. Torkelson over Jones as a first baseman. Jones is an outfielder, and he's going to qualify in the outfield. So, like, I don't, to me, that's not an interesting comparison it's just the guys who like of the guys that on opening day you would have to slot into a first base spot freeman olsen harper alonzo vlad are one through five and i think torkelson is sixth okay yeah the only other one that wouldn't fit that description but just so folks are aware will have first base eligibility would be cody bellinger um yeah who's another polarizing figure, but in a five outfielder league, you again, you probably want him in the outfield anyway. I, I was thinking, even, about in, even in a three outfielder league, there's enough of a, a value gap there that, that I think it makes a big difference in, in how you rate players. Probably. But yeah. Um, I was thinking of first patient that haven't been taken yet. Um, I don't think I would take Nate Lowe. Uh, I think, you know, he as awesome of a 2022 as he had, I think it was very clearly, especially in regards to power, kind of an outlier season. Um, one name, I don't know if I'm being biased, but I I, um, I don't see enough of a difference. And I like the ballpark and the lineup more. I think Tristan Cassis is pretty close to this conversation. Maybe, maybe close closer for me because I've always liked the player so much. And it's a little bit of confirmation bias based on how successful he was. He's a guy who you can definitely say like, Hey, well, full season sample. He was so freaking bad at the start. And I I think it was a ton of bad luck. And the second half really helped vindicate that for me, but he got to a point where he was just, he was operating on a different level than the rest of the offense. So he's maybe not quite torque level, but he might be the next guy off the board for me. Yeah, I'm looking at the other first basemen who are out there and like, you know, first of all, we're doing this on clicky draft. And so the rankings are based on like last year. So they're they're way out of line, which makes this a little challenging. But like the guys who show up here, Jose Abreu, Nathaniel Lowe, Vinny Pascantino, CJ Crone, Ryan Mountcastle, Andrew Vaughn, Rowdy Telez, Rizzo, Josh Bell, Ty France, Jake Cronenworth, Alec Bohm, Josh Naylor, Cassis, Trey Mancini. Mervis. I'm just sort of like, you know, there's guys like Steer who have first base, but aren't really first baseman. Christian Encarnacion Strand, uh, who is going to be first base only, I think, for the most part. Um, but yeah, I think you can make a pretty strong case for Cassis. Like, Mountcastle has looked great at times. Pascantino's got a lot of upside. Um, Josh Naylor, I think, is underrated. 
and, and belongs in this conversation as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, look, going back to the, our draft board now, you know, you and I don't pick for a while. If you came up with your, your pick at 82 in the seventh round and we're like, I think Cassis is my pick. Um, I did, I've only looked at first base, so I'd have to look at like who else might be out on the board overall. But like, if you were like, I've decided it's time for first baseman and Cassis is my pick as the next first baseman and all those guys are available. I, I don't think that's a bad pick. Okay. Yeah. No, I feel a little bit vindicated. I mean, I'm not worried about talking about it because I, I already have Matt Olson, So I, I don't think I'm, I'm spilling the beans here. And I guess the one other name is Yandy Diaz. Now he had six appearances at third. So I don't know if it's appearances or game started, but he only had three games started there. So he, it's not enough be... for, it's not enough for Yahoo. Okay, Yahoo, so Yahoo, and, actually, Yahoo and yeah, Yahoo and auto new have the same rules. And it is t- five starts or 10 appearances. Got it. Uh, so Yandy is first base only, which is, I think, a big hit for him. Yeah, then then he's he's going to be a first base only guy who, yeah, we, we talked about him, I felt like, a lot this year. Had some good conversations about him. Where I guess if it's a Cassis versus Yandy Diaz question it's well what's the floor of your team versus what's the ceiling because yandy presents one of the safest floors in my opinion in baseball like he hits the crap out of the ball he should be good for 15 to 20 homers he's gonna bat in the middle of a pretty good lineup he should bat for a pretty high average like that's a that's a safe pick albeit maybe the stats aren't as exciting at first base i think cassis could be i'm really putting my red Sox hat here a 40 homer hitter next year with like a good average like an average that's i I think that's 240 that's the biggest thing range yeah the the biggest thing with with yandy is he is going to help you he he, the average should be good right i mean there's not a lot of reason to think the average won't be good Mm. i I guess the bapip could regress but it, it probably won't the challenge with him is how happy are you with like he had 22 home runs this year 12 of those were before the end of may yeah and I actually think like he hit number 12. Let's see if I can find when he hit number 12. He hit number 12 on May 26th. That was 186 plate appearances. He went over his next 414 plate appearances and hit 10 total. And I think that like 10, like I think he's more likely to be under 15 than he is to be over 20 again. Interesting. I wouldn't push back. I, th- I think most likely he ends up in between those numbers. Right. But so I, I think that's the big question with him. Whereas like, I do think like, you know, is Cassis going to hit 40? Probably not, but he might. And if you, if you're asking me who's going to hit more home runs, it's Cassis. Yeah. Oh, that's and that's the same thing. Like when I mentioned Josh Naylor, who I think, you know, maybe that's my bias showing. Like I think he should be in that conversation. Naylor is going to hit more home runs than Yandy Diaz for sure. Uh, so this also, you know, you know, what do you need? How do you want to build your team? We are getting late enough into the first base ranks where it's a little easier to be like, you know what? I I took a bunch of power early. I could use some average and and, and make the decision based on that. But yeah, I'm uh I I would be 
I'm I'm gonna be lower than most on Yandy Diaz because I think as a as just a first baseman, he's just he's going to lack the power and I'm going to, and I'm going to want to get that power out of that position. Yeah. So anyways, we we had said we were also gonna talk about auto new arbitration, but uh we're not going to because <laughs> it's it's been an hour, 15 minutes already. Arbitration, we will be back. So like I said, you're gonna hear this on the eleventh. We'll be back on October twenty-fifth. Arbitration will still be going on. We'll be able to talk about it then. We will we'll make it a priority for that show because I know there's listeners out there who want to hear about it. Um, yeah. Any any last comments on this draft, this mock? I mean, this has to be the last one because we'll, we can talk about it again in a couple weeks when it's finished. I guess a, a good um, end point because it is the first few rounds is I, I'm feeling like next year in real drafts, I'm going to attack ace starting pitching early. Um, because it feels like there's this like schmedley of guys who are coming up who like any one of them could certainly put forward an amazing season. But the guys who I feel like are as close to a lock as you can get when it comes to starting pitching to having great seasons next year, they are already off the board. Um, and, and now it's like, all right, I could take this guy or I could wait six rounds and take this guy. And I wouldn't be surprised if they both ended up having basically the same season. So it's a, it's kind of a weird situation at starting pitcher. Yeah. No, you and I are the only two who have taken two starting pitchers already, and I think we are both very happy to have done that. I definitely am, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that, though. I think I, I have, and, and I have not, you have always been on the sort of like, make sure you get elite level starting pitching boat. That hasn't been where I've been. The the middle, and, and by the middle here, I don't mean like starting pitchers 40 through 60. I mean pitchers 15 through 30. Yeah have been so inconsistent and hard to predict and, and that I, I more and more feel like I'd expand that to thir- 15 through 40, to be honest, maybe even 45. Well, I'd have to look at the rankings, but I guess what, I, what I'm getting at with 15 through 30 is like, to me above 30 was always a crapshoot. No, right. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I'm just saying like, it feels like now there were guys that I was like, I used to feel like these are the top 10 and these are the next 20. And I'm pretty comfortable with any of those guys being what they look like they're going to be. And then it's like all bets are off, right? Right. You had a bunch of guys after 30 who are going to turn out to be studs. You got a bunch of guys after 30 who are going to turn out to be terrible. Like who knows? Um, I more and more feel like after you get past the top 10, maybe 15, it's like, it's just much iffier earlier than I think it has been. And there's there's upside in that, right? Because we're also getting guys who are like establishing themselves, right? Like Blake Snell wasn't going anywhere near this range a year ago. And he is now, and he I think he belongs in this range. So I get it. But I just feel like it's I I'm more and more I'm coming around to your point of view. I think things have, have shifted for me enough where I'm like, I just want to get some safe innings. And I just sure. don't think there's that many guys you can do it with. So, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back with you in a couple of weeks. We'll talk arbitration. We'll talk more about this mock. And if you got other stuff you want us to talk about, let us know. You can hit us up on Twitter, your X, whatever it's called, at Chad Young for me, at Pete B Baseball for Pete, at Keep or Cut, Cut with a K for the show. But yeah, got questions? Let us know, and we'll get back to them. Have a good couple of weeks.